0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen. Good morning. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. So... um, I want to thank you first and, and, and brag on you just a little bit before we get in the message today. Your generosity as a church just keeps overflowing in such beautiful ways. I don't know if you're aware of this, but, uh, well, you are aware of this because you're part of it. But uh, we had a meal that we had to, to provide for on Thursday we have a meal today. We've had uh, a busy busy week of different things. We've got uh, some other opportunities in the back of giving and you as a church just overflow with the generosity that comes from the Lord Jesus. And so I want to say thank you. What what you know is the secret of giving and giving is not about the gift, it's about the giver. Every single time God uses the giver to give the gift, But the giver's heart is what really matters. And what I know about you is that you have a heart for serving and a heart for giving. That's evident and that's clear. And so thank you. Will you accept my thanks on that as thanks uh, and as uh, a testimony of your own faithfulness? So God has been good. And what you need to expect is that God is going to continue to bless you because of your faithfulness and giving. That's the way it works, that's just the way it works, and we're going to talk. Well, I'm not. I'll, I almost started a whole other sermon. I'm not going to do it. I just want you to note I didn't enter into a whole other sermon. Okay. All right. So Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one is uh, there. There's there's just a few verses here that I'm going to share with you. Two verses, chapter fourteen and verse fifteen, that is the essence of who we are as a church. Without these these two verses wrap up we, us as, as, as an entire church. Without them, we cannot call ourselves a church. Because if we take this element out of who we are as the people of God, all we are is really just a group meeting together to sing some cool songs and to, to uh, do some cool things. What makes us unique in the world as the church is the message of the church and the message of the church is very concise and it's very simple unfortunately over the years it can get very confusing and it can get very broad but the reason that we are who we are is because of one thing and one thing alone the gospel of Jesus Christ and so in John in Mark chapter 1 verse 14 the Bible says after John was put in prison Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Everything we are as a church can be boiled down to this one thing, the message of the gospel. Without the gospel, we're hopeless. Without the gospel, we're lost. Without the gospel, every other thing we do is just another activity or another event. So let's break this down into what makes the gospel the gospel and how do you find and believe the gospel. So the scripture says, Jesus went into Galilee. Now he went into a place that is not where a religious teacher would have gone to begin his public ministry. See, if you look at Israel, the center of Israel or the, 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 the religious center of Israel would have been Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. That's where all of the scribes and the Pharisees, and that's where the, the, the Sadducees were, the ruling council. But Jesus didn't start his public ministry with the religious folks. He went all the way to the north end of the country to, the, to Galilee. And if you look on a map, you'll see the Sea of Galilee, and you'll have all the different towns there. You've got Nazareth, and you just got, got this, this outskirts, if you will. And he went there because it is a foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus that he has come to reach every human on the planet with the good news of the gospel. In other words, the gospel is not isolated to just a few. The gospel is for all. Every ethnicity, every, uh, every nation, every economic status, every age, there is no dividing lines for the gospel in terms of who it's for. The gospel goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so when Jesus went to Galilee, he began the work of the gospel, He began proclaiming the gospel. And the Bible says that he proclaimed the good news of God. That is the gospel. The word good news in the Greek is euangelion. It means gospel. It means the the good news as opposed to the bad news. Now, by definition, there can't be good news unless there's what? Bad news. So what's the good news? Well, first off, what's the bad news? The bad news is... We are broken. We are sinners. We are in need of redemption, and we are in need of restoration. You know, there's this conversation that has been going on forever and ever and ever. Uh, I say forever and ever and ever. It's actually, I think, relatively new in the last couple of uh, dozens of years. But the, the conversation is this. I can't help the way I am. I'm born this way. And that justifies, in many people's minds, who they are the life that they live. And I'll say to you, you're right. You were born whatever way you claim to be. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. See, I was born to be a liar. And I was born a thief. And I was born a swindler. And I was born dishonest. And I was born an adulterer. And I was born a murderer. I was born in a, in a, in a, in a condition where sin reigns. And because I was born in need of redemption, I had to come to the place where I found that redemption through the one and the only one who can redeem. So Jesus said, I'm proclaiming to you good news of God. And that good news of God is you are in need of redemption. You are in need of a savior. And he said of himself, I am that Savior, in wow, did you hear that? Uh, in Luke chapter four, we know the uh, uh, the kind of redemption that he's talking about. Luke chapter four, it's a really cool scene. Um, he goes into the synagogue, and he is handed a scroll. Now, this is not abnormal. Uh, Pharisees would read from the scroll, and they would they would talk about it. They would explain the scripture, and Jesus had a habit of going to the um, to the, te- to the uh, 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 what, was it, what did I just say? Not the temple, the, yeah, synagogue. For some reason my brain started uh, to fog there. He went into the, to the synagogue and he, he, was, he was teaching and as he did custom, as a customary thing for him. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah and the Bible says that he found the place where it is written. In verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. In other words, Jesus went there on purpose. He unrolled the scroll, and I like to think that Jesus, being the master storyteller, probably had some pregnant pauses in there. You know, he probably didn't just go to it real quickly. He probably made him wait a little bit, and he unrolled it. And he might have done that eye thing, you know, going, you know, that always tells you that They're looking at you. So just be patient and wait, you know. It's kind of that uh, if you were to put some background music to it, it would be a whoo, you know, just a weird, somber mood. And that's just my own imagination. That's not what the Bible says, by the way. So he's unrolling the scroll and he finds the place where it is written the following words The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He reads this out of Isaiah, and then he does the first drop mic recorded in history. That's what he does. He rolls it back up and he hands it back to him. And he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah's writings. Now, that would have been a gasp moment. (gasps) You're what? Jesus was revealing himself as the good news in that very moment. So in Mark chapter 1, when he says that he was proclaiming the good news, uh, the, uh, the good news of God, he was proclaiming, the work that he was doing on earth as the word made flesh. Does this make sense to you? And so the message of Jesus was very consistent, and it was very, very pointed, and it was very gracious, but it was also truth to the point where it cut people to the heart. And the truth that he preached was there is a kingdom that is not of this world, and that kingdom has a king, who is Christ Jesus, and the king is not just an ordinary king, he is a king of all kings... And he is the Lord of all lords. In fact, he is the Alpha, he is the Omega. That's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and he's the end. When there was nothing, there was Jesus. When nothing else is, there was Jesus. By his own word, everything was spoken into existence. So Jesus was proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God is here. In other words, God was finally restoring the brokenness that we lived in in this earth, and so the way that you find this message, the way that this good news becomes more than just good news, but it becomes your good news, is simple, but it's not easy. You've heard me say this before. Simple and easy are two different words, and they mean two different things. It is simple to make key lime pie, but it's not easy. We made one at our house and apparently the simplicity of it didn't transfer to easy because it was horrible. We had to throw it away. I mean, it's a few ingredients, sugar, lime, some crust, right? And you're like, it's easy. No, it's simple. But trust me, our family can mess it up. But now some other people like the Allens can really unmess it up. So simple and easy are not the same thing. Simple means that to get from A to B is just a few steps. Easy is, the, is more quantitative. It, it, it deals more with what's done with us. Okay, I'll say it this way. Um, it is simple to run five miles. Right? I mean, all you gotta do, start picking up your feet, start running. That's simple, right? But it's not easy. It's not easy because you've got all this flesh that you got to deal with and you need this thing called oxygen because your brain uh, uh, relies upon that and your body relies upon that. Your heart relies upon that. And so the simplicity is this. Jesus said, the kingdom of God, go back to Luke chapter one, the kingdom of God is here Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. That's the simplicity of it. To find the kingdom of God, you simply have to repent and believe. But the difficulty in it is repentance requires saying those three hard words that every man knows he never wants to say to his wife. I was wrong. Right? Men, don't you sit there smug and pretend like it's easy for you? Don't, I know. And every woman has to say that to their husband sometimes. I was wrong. But you know the way we like to repent? We like to repent around about kind of sort of way, right? Repentance actually is a is a uh, uh, a, a word that is a military term. It's to make an about face. It's to turn from one direction to another direction. Essentially, it's not necessarily a physical move. It is an agreement with God in your mind and in your heart of what God says is wrong, is wrong, and what God says is right, is right. It's saying, I no longer own I I no longer want to go my way, but I want to go your way. So it's the intent there, but again, it's, it's it's an attitude of the heart which later on moves into action. So to repent is to say, "I was wrong. I'm sorry." There is a little, there is regret, there is remorse involved in that, but it's more of an agreement with God. God, what you say is right; what I say is wrong. Now we don't like to do that, that's not easy. Because to do that means we have to stuff our pride, right? We have to say, I wasn't good enough. So we wanna go all the way around it and we wanna kinda slip it in easily. Like we say things like, well I wasn't exactly correct. I didn't tell a lie, I just wasn't fully truthful. I'm not wrong, I was just misinformed, right? Now, am I right about this, Clay? We like to just kind of ease on around it, and we hope the other person will just kind of get the drift and let us off the hook. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, good, we're good. But that's not what repentance is. You cannot come to God and believe unless you repent. Why? Because you're believing what God says, not what you say. Repentance is getting into God's schedule or getting onto his timetable and we have such a hard time with repentance because repentance has to acknowledge that we are wrong. We are wrong about attitudes, we're wrong about actions, we're wrong about thoughts, we're wrong about how we love and nobody wants to nobody wants to be told they're wrong and nobody wants to admit they're wrong. But the Bible says that without a hum- humble heart you cannot find grace from God. God opposes the proud, but he does what? He gives grace to the humble. Repentance is the humbling of the heart, and you and I cannot be saved apart from repentance. Now, what's really interesting about this is God gives us the gift of repentance. So it's the work of God inside of us that brings us to that point of repentance but at the end of the day, we've got to get on God's schedule and on God's timetable and agree with God, God, yes, I'm in need of a Savior. Jesus demonstrated the attitude of the heart when he told the story of the Pharisee and of the sinner. He said there was a Pharisee that was in praying and was saying to God, 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 look how good I am, look how marvelous I am. And there was a sinner that came in as well and he fell before God and he started beating his chest and said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And then the Pharisee looked over and said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this sinner over here. Thank you that my righteousness is far greater than his. And the Bible says that Jesus said, the one that fell on his face before God is the one who found mercy from God, not the arrogance and the proud heart of the Pharisee. See, you and I, have got to get to the place where we recognize that we found the bottom, where we recognize that we cannot make it on our own. And we recognize that because the truth of what God says through his word shines a light on the sin inside of us, and it exposes us to the point where we, are, are, we, we have shame, we have guilt, we have embarrassment, all of those things. And we say to God, God, I don't deserve you at all, and at that point, Jesus says, you're right, but that's exactly why I'm calling you by name. It's, um, uh, in the scripture, in, in uh, uh, one of the letters to Timothy, the scripture says, all scripture is God-breathed, right? And it's able to, it, it, it's, a, it's a sword, able to divide um, soul and morrow. In that scripture, the idea of the sword is not actually, I just found this out. It's actually not this giant sword. It's a double-edged sword. It's, it's not this idea of the, of a big three-foot-wielding uh, Excalibur sword, right? That's not what it is. It's actually a dagger. And here's what would happen. When somebody who was being tried for a crime, when somebody was going before to, uh, the judge to see justice, they would take a dagger and they would position it underneath their chin, and it would be right here, where the point was at the tip of their chin. And then they would walk him to see the one who would make the judgment. And the reason for that is, what happens when you're shameful? You put your head down. If you ever see a, a somebody do a perp walk, they're always trying to cover their face, or so they're kind of lo- they, they don't want to be in front of the cameras usually. And in fact police officers sometimes will do a perp walk to make them face the cameras it's sort of an embarrassment thing when the scripture says that the when the bible tells us that the word of god is a double edged sword able to make that division it bears the idea of it makes you look up you can't you can't ignore it you can't look down you can't turn away because that point is right here there's an acknowledgement of the sin inside of your heart But the word of God, when it does that, it brings conviction, the bad news, so that you can have the hope of the good news. Repentance is a heart condition necessary for belief. We want to skip that route. We want to jump right over it because we don't want to deal with our own sin. I will tell you, I stand before you today keenly and acutely aware of my own brokenness before God. I understand that I am not worthy to stand on the stage. I'm not worthy to tell you anything about God because I know the blackness and the darkness of my own heart. I know that God in his infinite wisdom and mercy has saved me from myself. And I know that I could never proclaim to you a righteousness of my own because anything I am and all that I am is completely because of the grace that God has shown me through Jesus Christ. Having said that, I also say to you that you have to look in the mirror and you have to acknowledge your own need for a savior. If you're in this place today and you've, you've been saved, but you've never been lost, how can you actually have been saved? If there's never been repentance, how can you actually have believed? What, what, what are you believing? What's, what's the good news if there is no bad news? I'll tell you that I distinctly remember that when I was 15 years old I was in a high school stadium and I was sitting halfway up the bleachers over towards the north and, north side of the bleachers and I was listening to all the music it was a it was a citywide crusade with Billy Graham it was in 1988 and this citywide crusade was was f- like five nights of coming to this place to listen to this preacher named Bailey Smith preach and as I was sitting there in this this stadium I remember wrestling with God. And I remember saying to God, God, I'm religious. I mean, I do all the right stuff. I always go to church. I I, I pray and I read my Bible and I, I do, you know, I, I do the stuff when the church asks me to, but I'm, but I'm, I'm anxious. I, I'm not sure that I've ever truly believed because I don't know that I've ever truly repented. And that was my problem. I was so good that I never realized that I needed a savior. And, and I was so good, but I really wasn't so good. It's like the one who came and said, you know, was it take to go to heaven? And he said, you know, the commandments do all these things. And he's like, oh, I've done all those. See, I'm the one that thought I'd done all those. I'd never, never. I mean, the worst that I can remember is when I was in kindergarten, I stole some, some, uh, some cupcakes off of the, the bake sale thing. I mean, I, and then I lied about it. So I guess I'm a double sinner on that one. It had to have been food. Have been food that's right. If I'm going to sin, it's going to be around food, Right. And, and so, but, but I mean, that's not, I mean, I never did bad stuff, right? But see, that's the thing. We like to grade sin on how good or how bad it is, but God says if you offend the law at one point, you've offended the law at all points, And so we have a bad habit of comparing our own self and our own righteousness towards other unrighteous people. And we like to choose the really unrighteous to make ourselves look better. And that's the wrong judgment or that's the wrong measurement. The only one we measure ourselves with is the one who is perfect, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we measure ourselves against him. The Bible says that all of my righteous acts are like dirty, filthy, rotten, stinking rags. And so I stand before him saying, but I'm not so good after all. And so back on that moment, as I was in this high school stadium and I was listening to the preacher start to preach, I have no idea what he said. I just remembered that in that moment, God said to me, Jeff, if you were to die right now, you've never yielded to me as the Lord of your life. You've been religious, but you've never been truly saved. You've never been born again. And so I thought to myself, I literally thought to myself, At the end of this service, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go down. Because I just want to deal with this. I don't ever want to doubt and question again. And in that moment, I had this other thought. What if you died before the invitation? I mean, it's only like 25 minutes away, but what if? And so in the midst of that crowd, nobody else having any idea what I was doing, I said in my heart to God, Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I'm lost. And I'm not good enough to be saved. But I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died and he he was buried and he rose again. And I'm asking you to save me. I'm giving you my life once and for all. And in that instant, I distinctly remember all of the doubt and all of the questioning that I had had night after night after night was gone. And to this day... I've not doubted one single time, do I know Jesus? Now, listen, I tell you that story because I know the feeling of what it means to question whether or not you're really in a relationship with God. And what's so frustrating is I wanted a relationship with God, and I told him, I'll do it if I just know how, but the wrestling was whether or not I really believed. And that's really the core of this message. How do you know you've really believed? because belief is kind of one of those things that you can say and not actually have as a reality. I mean, belief, I can't tell you if you've believed or not, because you can act in a way that makes it look like you've believed, but you haven't, but you can also act in a way that looks like you haven't believed, and yet you have. That's why I could never tell you I know for a fact you're born again. Now I can say I'm pretty certain. I see the fruit and the evidence of the gospel in your life. I've heard your testimony and I know that there are things in your life that God has been moving in. So I can say I'm 99.9% sure that you're born again, but I cannot say I'm 100% sure of you because that's only between you and God. And so this morning, my question is this, have you believed the simple message of the gospel and have you done the difficult work of the gospel, which is repent and believe? So let's go to that word believe for a moment. When I was praying that prayer at 15, I was enacting belief, but I was actually moving from mere intellectual faith to a genuine saving faith, which are different. The book of James tells us, oh so you believe in God, good for you. Even the demons believe and tremble. So belief is not just intellectual assent. It doesn't mean that I just believe there is. Belief is an action. It's, It's motivated by a knowledge or an understanding, but then it's an actual action of trusting by moving into a relationship through, uh, uh, through, a, through a, and I don't know how to explain it other than I'm, I'm, I'm putting my faith into practice, if you will. That's why the book of James also says that you say you believe, that's good. But if you believe, if you say you believe, but you have no works, I'll tell you that you don't even believe. Because belief and works go together. Your works don't cause you to believe and they don't, they don't cause you to be saved, but your works are evidence that belief is actually a reality. Does that make sense to, to you? So in other words, if you, say to, if you say, I believe in Jesus, yet there's no fruit, there's no evidence, there's no indication at all that that belief is real in your life, the likely reality is you've simply, simply made intellectual assent and not had saving faith. And you say, well, how do I know the difference? That's between you and God. I think that's what the scripture means by work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think it's that idea of searching the depths of your own heart and constantly opening yourself before God and saying, God, do I genuinely believe? Have I genuinely trusted you? I think that that the, the evidence of the gospel in your life are clear. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, if the fruit of the Spirit is there, that's evidence that God is inside of you, that he's, that he's living in you, that, that, that you are born again. If there's uh, uh, not just the fruit of the Spirit, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's evidence that the, that, that the gospel is there. If, if there's a different kind of love than you had before you were born again, that that's evidence that the Spirit is there. So there are evidences, but at the end of the day, if you say you have faith, but you have no works you would want to go back and examine what is my faith really like? So belief and faith are synonyms. There's a difference, but they're really inextricably tied together because faith is believing and acting on what we can't see, but what we're believing or acting in is what we've heard. How do you have faith? You have faith by what you hear. How do you hear? You hear because somebody's spoken, somebody's preached to you, which is exactly what Jesus was doing in Mark chapter one. So he said, repent and believe. Let me talk to you for just a few moments about this thing called belief. Belief, I say, as I said, is, is not just up here. It's actually a trust. It's, it's something that's deeper than, than just understanding But belief also is not always complete. So what is important about belief is the object of your belief, not in the fact that you believe. Some people would say, just believe in something and you're good. That's not true. If you sincerely believe something that's wrong, you are sincerely wrong. Right? I mean, that's, isn't that logical? But see, that very statement right there in today's culture is a giant red flag. And if I got a bunch of mail, I would get hate mail from that. Here's why. I just made a declaration that there is right and there is wrong. And in our culture, you're not allowed to say that. But I want to tell you that's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible is very, very clear that there is right and there is wrong. There is obedience and there is sin. There is a way to the father and there is a way not to the father. Jesus actually was extremely clear on the path to heaven, the path to make being my right with God. Here are just some of the things he said. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life and no one comes to the father but through me he said of himself i am the gate he said i am the door he said i am the living water and if any of that was confusing he then said this he who has the son has life he who does not have the son does not have life it's clear so the belief that if you just believe in something that's good enough is actually wrong because if the object of your belief is not good, is not, uh, good, it, it, not uh, truth, then your belief is simply belief in something that will lead you down a path that will uh, cause you to still be lost. So belief is in the object, right? So where is our belief? Our belief Is in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's why. John chapter 3 says, or or John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was made was made by Him and through Him and for Him. We just skipped over to Colossians there, but Jesus Christ is the evidence of a living God because He is God made flesh. If you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. So our belief is in Jesus. Okay, now here's the deal. It's not just belief in a person. It's belief in the character. So not just the fact that he lived. It's not like, oh, I believe in Santa Claus. No, of course, well, never mind. Thank you. I didn't want to mess somebody's dreams up there. So, uh it's not just I believe in a person, it's I believe in everything this person stands for and who this person is. So the words of Jesus is what we believe in. Here's a cool thought. If you want to know God, all you really have to do is explore what Jesus said. And when you look at what Jesus said and you say, okay, Jesus said this, I believe him. Jesus said this, I believe him. If you start building your life on believing what Jesus said, you are believing in the person of Jesus Christ in a way that will transform you and ultimately it will sanctify you and it will make you a different person than, when you, than you were when you first believed. So in other words... When you first believe in Jesus, you're believing in a a blurry picture of Jesus for the most part. You don't have all the answers. You don't know all the questions. You just know that he came, he lived, and he died. He was buried and he rose again. And he said he's the way, so I believe. You're, You're not usually believing because you've investigated all the claims. You're believing because God is drawing you to repentance. And he's drawing you into a relationship with himself. But once you believe, you're born again. And because you're born again, what do new babies do? They start to grow. In the Christian life, that's called sanctification. He's changing you and he's pulling off the edges on you that are not looking like him. And he's making you look like him. And over the years, you become close. Over the years, the picture of Jesus becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. And guess what that gives you? That gives you hope that is indestructible. It gives you the kind of hope where you can go through life's hell and still say, and yet I will still praise him. It's the kind of of tenacity that says, even though everything in life is awful, Jesus is still in control and he is still Lord. Even though I cannot see the edge of this pit, Jesus is still King. And I serve him not because of what he does for me, but I serve him because of who he is. That comes from a lifetime of the picture of Christ Jesus becoming more and more clear because you're allowing his words to be inside of your heart and you are believing them, not just here, but here. Does that make sense? So, Where I want you to go today is this. Where I want you to kind of land is this. I want you to examine your own belief. What are you believing in? Are you believing in a story of a guy who did some good stuff? Are you believing in the son of the living God? The one who made all things and in him all things are held together? Has there been a time where your belief has been predicated by repentance? Have you said to him, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. Maybe you haven't said those exact words, but if, if the attitude of your, not, of your heart has not been humbled before God, how can you have ever been saved? And again, I can't make that judgment for you. Only you can make that judgment. But I can say in a crowd this big, and for those watching by TV, the, the question of, am I genuinely a believer or not, For some of you, that's a real question. I'm going to say, settle that today. Settle that today. You can believe everything Jesus has ever said. Proof of you can believe him is this. He demonstrated his own authority by dying like he said he would, by being buried for as long as he said he would, and then rising from the dead just like he said he would. That's all the, that, every, everything in your faith rests upon that one action or that one group of actions. Because he rose from the dead, everything he says can be believed. So here's the things, here's some of the things we need to believe. We need to believe that when he said, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. That's the hard part, right? We got to believe that. We must believe when he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to receive you unto myself. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, I'd never lie to you. We know that Jesus has made all kinds of promises to us, but sadly for many believers, we live on a very small fraction of them. We live on just the only, we live on the promise of, one day when I die, I'll not go to hell. And that's the extent of how much we know about what Jesus has said. I'm saying to you, that's only the beginning. This belief that we're talking about is an all in. Lord, I, 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 you've got me hook, line and sinker. Even if I don't understand it, I don't have to understand it because I know that everything you say is true and real, and and, and I know that you're full of mercy and kindness and grace, and so I'm going to choose to believe even when I cannot see. And Jesus himself said, Blessed are you who believe even when you don't see. Told Thomas that. You believe because you see, but blessed to you if you believe when you don't see. You say, Well, what if I'm wrong? Well, you could always go to Pascal's Wager, but we don't want to go there, do we? You know what Paschal's Wager is? Pascal's Wager essentially is, look, you say there's no God, I say there is a God. You don't believe, I do. If I die and there is no God, what have I lost? I mean, I've had a, I've had a heck of a life. Got a smoking hot wife. You're welcome. <laughs> Got th- Got some great kids, right? Got a, got a wonderful family and total strangers who are not really strangers anymore. I mean, what, what have I lost? I mean, I've, I've never, never had to been bailed out of a back of a police car. I, I've, I've never had to stagger into the house. You know, I mean, I, I've never had to do any of that. So what have I lost, right? But if a person who doesn't believe says, uh, dies and he's wrong, what has he lost? that's Pascal's wager the thing is we don't even need that because what we know is that god exists how do we know because we see the evidence of his goodness everywhere i'll close with this illustration none of us can look at the sun i tried the other morning we went fishing and uh the sun was right, was coming up and i was like Man, that's beautiful. So I looked over and I saw, and I wasn't even looking at the sun because there were clouds and stuff, but then when I looked back in front, I was seeing spots, right? Because the sun is so bright, it's so full of heat and energy and light that we cannot look at it and not be blinded. So even though we cannot see the sun, we see the effects of the sun everywhere. Every morning, the light shines do you know that there is no light on the earth? There's no original light. It's all from the sun. Obviously you could make a fire, but what I'm talking about is that the the earth itself doesn't have light. It's given light. You know, the moon, the moon doesn't have light. The moon simply reflects the light of the sun. So we have evidence of the sun, even though we can't look directly with it with our bare eyes, we have evidence of it all around us. And we say, oh, there is a sun. I can feel its heat. I can see the, 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 the light of it. I can see the reflection off the moon. And so we don't see uh, God face to face, but we have evidence of him everywhere. And all it would take is intellectual honesty to go down any trail you want and discover, yes, there must be a creator And there must be a God. And if there is a God, then I must have a reason because he's not going to create me for nothing. And if there is a reason, I must find what it is. And the gospel makes purely total sense. Will you close your eyes and bow your head with me? I want to invite you, first off, to ask the question, do you believe Have you repented of your sin at some point? And have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you cannot say with absolute certainty that you are in a right relationship with God, that you've been born again, I want to invite you to do that now. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I need salvation. So I trust Jesus. I believe that he died, was buried, and rose again. And I invite you into my life, and I believe with my heart. I'm asking you to save me. We believe that the Bible teaches that in that, in that moment, if, that's what, if you just ask Jesus in your life that you're born again, You're adopted into his family. Nothing magical happened. It's something spiritual. It's something supernatural. Now the beginning of your relationship with him, just like a newborn baby, you begin to pursue him, but really he's pursuing you. If you've invited Jesus Christ into your life today, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, with nobody looking around, would you just let me know? Just slip up your hand. Amen. Thank you. I see that. Anybody else? Anybody else trust in Jesus today? Amen. Thank you. This morning, if you are not pursuing him, if you don't really know much about what he says, you're just believing the the outskirts of who he is, would you ask God to to give you a hunger and a thirst for knowing Jesus to where you lay down your life for him so that he can live through you? There's no life like a life led by God through the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, I pray that today, through your goodness, God, would you reveal to us yourself, Father, I pray that today you would, you would let us believe what you say in your word. Lord, I pray that today you would remind us that the gospel is so simple, but it's, a, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's a daily pursuing of the hope that is in us. Father, today, um, Lord, this is is the most important thing we could ever hear, the good news of the gospel. So let it resonate with us. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. amen. worry about